What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And for episode 131, we're continuing on with our read-through Jim Butcher's acclaimed series, The Dresden Files. Drew, we're now on book three, Grave Peril. So let's dive right in. What happened in this book? Well, before I get into the summary, uh, just a small announcement. Um, mm-hmm. Inking Out Loud is now on Coffee. That's ko-fi.com. Uh, uh, if you want to support the show, but you don't want to dive straight in the deep end with Patreon doing the monthly subscription thing, you can do a one-time donation on Coffee to to help us, you know, pay for our hosting and, and software services and, and all of that kind of stuff. That said, Grave Peril, book three. It opens about a year after the events of Full Moon. The ghosts of Chicago are going crazy and Harry is on the case. He's joined by his friend Michael Carpenter, a knight of the cross, who wields a magical blade called Amarachias. Earlier in the day, Harry was approached by yet another woman in need. The familiar opening. <laughs> Giving only the name Lydia, she tells Harry that she's in danger from a spirit, and that she can sometimes prophesy the future. That evening, together, Harry and Michael take down a different vengeful ghost, but are waylaid by Harry's fairy godmother, Leah. They barely escape her and are promptly arrested by the Chicago PD. Harry is bailed out of jail by Susan and returns home to find two vampires waiting for him, with an invitation to the Red Court. Harry quickly finds himself embroiled in a spiritual war that appears to be spilling over from a case he, Murphy, and Michael solved after the events of Full Moon. They stopped the evil sorcerer Kravos and arrested him, destroying a demon in the process. But a super-powerful spirit somehow connected with Kravos is taking revenge. It attacks Harry after he's put into a vampire venom-induced nightmare, and with some of his power also attacks Murphy, taking her out of the game. Harry and Michael chase the nightmare, but it captures Michael's pregnant wife, Charity. They corner the nightmare in a cemetery, and with the help of Leah, drive it off. However, Leah in turn drives Harry over the edge, and he attempts to attack her with Amarachius. As he defiled the Holy Blade, Leah is able to steal it from him. With some detective work, Harry manages to get a sense of the sorcerer who's directing the nightmare. He heads to the vampire ball, intending to find the culprit there. At the party, they meet Thomas, a vampire of the White Court, Thomas's date, Justine, Leah, Susan shows up, and they run into the dangerous Mavra of the Black Court. Harry quickly realizes it was Mavra directing the nightmare, and that the whole thing was a trap to set him up for Bianca to kill him. She has captured Lydia, and, after being gifted Amarachius by Leah, is prepared to destroy the sword by killing an innocent with it. Harry, Michael, Susan, Thomas, and Justine spring into action, setting off a literal conflagration. Harry and Michael escape with Lydia, but leave Susan and Justine behind. They hatch a plan to stop the vampires and save Susan and Justine. With the help of Thomas, the three head into the Never Never, but are again accosted by Leah. Harry manages to make another deal with her, getting her to promise not to bother him for a year and a day. However, she in turn attacks Michael and Thomas, since they weren't included in the bargain, and Harry heads on to Bianca's mansion. He's ambushed immediately upon arriving and captured. In the basement of the mansion, Harry finds Justine and Susan, who has been partially turned into a vampire. They manage to trap Kravos' ghost, and, with the help of Harry's own ghost, kill Kravos. Harry, in turn, consumes the power of the nightmare and breaks out, leading to a final confrontation with Bianca. Harry destroys many vampires and, with the help of dozens of ghosts, kills Bianca and burns down her mansion. 
He escapes with Susan, but has started a full-scale war between the Red Court and the White Council of Wizards. In the end, Harry asks Susan to marry him, but she declines, leaving Chicago altogether. <clears throat> you know, as much as I hate starting off on such a generic question, um, I feel like it's really necessary this time. Uh, how did you find it? Uh, where does it rank in the three that we've read so far? Uh, I think it's my favorite of the three. Um, it, it's tough for me to describe why, though. Uh, okay. I don't think the writing took a tremendous leap forward. Uh, there, there were some improvements in, you know, like on a, a sentence and scene level, but there were definitely still some things that bothered me that I'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah, same, same. Um, but I think it was more just the, uh, the sense of the world grew. It didn't feel as much like a, uh, an episodic installment. It, it's like he's finally getting into the real story of what he's trying to do with Harry Dresden. I actually agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Because like the first two books were very focused on one thing. Like the first book is, all right, this is how it works with like an evil sorcerer summoning demons. And the second book is like, all right, this is how it works with werewolves. And now in this one, there are more layers to it. We get more things about, you know, uh, black magic and, and demon summoning. And we get the lore about um, how like faith magic works. And we get the lore about the, the Knights of the Cross. The vampires are really present. We have the fae introduced. We have um, ghosts are, are obviously a really big deal in this one. Uh, it's just a much more layered story and was thus more engaging for me. Mm, okay. I, I would say it's my least favorite of the three. But it's still important really? to say least favorite specifically because, you know, it's, it's, they're still good books overall. Um, I'm really coming to enjoy the entire series. I can't really say that of these three books, there's been a weak book yet, but for today, I'd say my my the the balance of my compliments versus complaints are probably going to fall about seventy thirty, maybe even less. Actually, I kind of wrote that figure at the very beginning of writing down my notes. I think it actually ended up about fifty fifty. Uh, I mean, there's lots, there's 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 a ton to like. There's a ton to like, and I'll be pointing out everything that I do like. But I'm gonna have some criticisms too. First and foremost, the the, the thing that is exasperating me is just another young woman in distress right off the bat and again she's good looking and oh now she's she's offering to sleep with him how unexpected i mean if it wasn't for the podcast right then and there there's a good chance i would have put the book down maybe the entire series like that's three that's three books out of three so far every single one beginning with harry meeting some mysterious and always beautiful woman who needs his help and against his better judgment he decides to help because he's just so chivalrous. He needs to grumble and bitch about it, but he ultimately decides <laughs> against his better judgment to help. And I just, I'm, I, I, I'm dead certain that we're going to see that again for the next book. I haven't read the series. It's important to say I haven't read the series, but I can, I can just, I feel like I can plot out the next book as it is. And I feel <laughs> like it would start like this. So the, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, I don't have a problem with the fact that there are repeated 
you know, damsels in distress, so to Same, speak. I think um, yeah. because especially for the the subgenre that this is, because that is a a classic, you know, detective noir mm-hmm. hard boiled trope. Um, where where my issues come in with, uh, as I've mentioned on previous episodes, it's the gratuitous descriptions. Um, oh boy, uh, the and and like you've brought up the sh- the sheer number of like yes they're always going to be attractive women in these stories, um, but in in this specifically it seems like every woman is attractive. Believe it and, or not, there was one described in this one as like comfortably overweight. I think. Yeah, like like even even the not traditionally slim and curvy are are still attractive. Yeah. You know, like uh they're still pleasing to look at for Harry. Um and and so uh, like I'm I'm maybe a little more willing to give this some slack in this um area oh, yeah. than you are, but it, it does bother me at a certain point it's as well. Just- Again, as I, something I've been uh, something that anyone who's listened to enough of the Inking Out Loud podcast would know to expect out of me, I suppose at this point, it's just the repeated nature of it, the predictability of it, yeah. the fact that I just know the next book is going to have another beautiful woman right at the very beginning who needs his help, and he's like, "Oh, I shouldn't help her." No, hell no. But oh, it's just it's just who I am. It it the it's the constant repeating beats that's annoying. It's not really the subject matter itself. Mm-hmm. It's just the predictability of it. It's, it's just like ah, come on. What about what about starting if we're if we're talking about the the subgenre, the 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 you know the the film noir. You know what about um, starting off uh, a book with him perhaps investigating the death of his partner? Ooh, you know. <laughs> but no, it's it's always it's so far. I mean, I've only again, I'm only three books in. I haven't started the next one yet. But and I really need to get on that because we're recording that episode tomorrow. But yeah. <laughs> It's again. It's just again. It's just again. And, but it, it is. Um, and and in his defense, I'll say this one doesn't open with it the way the first two opened with it. Okay. Uh, this yeah. one opens with the action scene, and then he that. cuts and rewinds to earlier in the day when Lydia shows up, and you're like, "All right, there's the there's the woman indeed, yeah, that I was I, expecting, I will that I was that waiting point, for." It was um, like a, an attention like, grabber for the beginning of the book. Yeah, yeah there's an awareness. Um, he knows what tropes he is writing into. And that's, like, I, uh, when it comes down to it, that's why I'm not as critical of it, um, uh, the inclusion of the actual trope. Yep. What I'm critical of is the way he uses the trope. Same. I, I agree sense. with that. You yeah. phrased it better than I did. Yeah. Um, but that said, you know, uh, I I still liked how there was a a conscious effort it felt like in this book to sheer a little bit further away from the standard structure like uh in the first two books where it's all about a mystery here we have a mystery and the mystery is pretty much solved midway through the book mm-hmm. and then it's it's really an action fantasy story for the rest of it. Yeah. Um there there are way more like Action scenes, they're, I mean, there's, it starts a full-on war, you know, like, uh, it it really does lay the ground for a less self-contained narrative going forward. Hmm. Yeah. 
I fully agree with that. And I, I do want to move on to some more compliments myself. Like my next compliment is going to be the fact that this book really started spooking me. Like, and I mean that in a good way, in a great way. Like, sure, the the encounter with the, the ghost of Agatha Hagglethorn, you know, I've thought, okay, in the beginning pages, I'm like, this is a little bit cliche, but it's still exactly the kind of spooky that tickles me just right. But then Butcher really kicked things up here, like, with, with the spook factor. First, that creepy-ass phone call lift me with the heebie-jeebies, and then the investigation of that thing that went rampaging outside of the church because we didn't know what it was at that point. Yeah. Listening to the depiction of that night from Father uh, Forthill, I want to say his name is. Um, yes. Reading from the Bible, he's reading Bible verses as it at it as it screams and just devastates everything in the parking lot there. That's just chilling. But especially the way that they couldn't see through the darkness. They, they can only hear it out there. The way it kept moaning and roaring and they would think it's gone after a little after minutes of silence, but then just boom, another destroy, destruction of another car or window is just calling Lydia's name. Like, everything about all of this for the first huge portion of the book, I was so on board. I love that you know, that, that freak factor there, that the fear of the unknown. I was like, Ooh, <laughs> I was really excited nice. for it. And I texted you. I was like, this is yeah. a lot spookier than the last one, isn't it? Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, I, I got massive supernatural vibes from the yeah. beginning of this book. Yeah, like, I did. Just the, yeah. them going in to hunt down a ghost. I was like, man, I can, I can see the TV episode of this. Like, yeah. Uh, I've seen Sam and Dean go in yep. and to deal like with a, a ghost with with the salt and you know and yep. you know uh, circles and and all that and it's like the terrible CGI ghost that flickers after the shotgun salt boom 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 you know yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know like with a name like Grave Peril of the book you know and we've since we've already seen so much like from vampires and from werewolves previously I went into this assuming oh we're gonna see zombies I or thought maybe, the exact same thing or like, uh, yeah I like, was. I had this exact note to bring yeah. up in style, um, and and I I appreciated that it wasn't because I'm yeah. not a huge like zombie fan myself, and I yeah. thought it was going to be again like the same flavor of the week where the first book is the the demon summoner, the second book is the werewolves, the third book is going to be the zombies, and and then it wasn't, and I was like, <sighs> it was creepier. Good. Yeah, <laughs> like I, was, I mean, I was hoping not to see zombies, just because obviously, I mean, it was overdone twenty years ago at this point. But I can still see Butcher making something even as overdone as zombies, just really enjoyable in the, his like this irre like irreverent, tongue-in-cheek, self-deprecating dark humor of Harry Dresden. Sure, I could still I could still see Butcher making that work. But this blatantly Hitchcockian fear not what comes out of the closet, but what might come out of the closet, the style of horror, that was, I was so, so on board, oh, so on board, the, oh, the, um, the, the tortured animals, I had, how did I forget about that, you know, it was just, yes, uh, oh, yeah. that was when I texted, oh, yeah. I was like, this one, this one's, yeah, this out, one's outside of, um, the church, uh, outside of the church and outside of the cop's house, oh, I um, at the beginning, one? yeah, Oh, oh, that's right. Um, Mar um, not Marconi. Um, the uh, other one with an M. Yeah, what the, was his name? It began with an M. It was an M. Maroon? Um, something they, like that. Yeah, I I do not remember his name now. It was yeah. like... Um, that's not too important. Everybody knows what Yeah, whatever, whatever. It wasn't important. The guy uh, whose spirit a, a was all chained stuff. up in, you know, with the barbed wire and everything. But, you know, the, the mystery of the demon slash ghost, whatever, that was revealed a little 
more quickly than I thought it was. Again, I, I kind of thought this was going to be more flavor of the week, sort of, hey, this this thing's identity is, you know, key to this, the center of the story and the climax. Uh, but then they just kind of, it, Butcher made its its origin a little more mundane, just, and then the mm-hmm. goddamn vampires took center stage once again, and then they became the primary threat, and then all that kind of horror factor was just lost on me, or lost for me, I should say. Like, all the way up to the vampire ball, super, super excited. And then the entire second half, really, even though it was fun, I was still going, oh. Um, yeah, the book changed oh. quite a lot. Yeah. But but no, I want to rewind a little bit to, to zombies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm always down. Because, like I said, I was expecting it to be a zombie book based on the title. However... Uh, when I realized it wasn't going to be a zombie book, and it was in turn a vampire book, I was fascinated because uh, there there was a a capstone literature course that I took in college. Uh, it was it was called the Literary History of the Present, and basically it was focusing on fiction, uh, North American fiction of the past decade. And this, I took this class in 2012. Okay. Uh, and and it was it was one of the best literature courses I ever took. Uh, my favorite college professor, uh, you know, my my uh, capstone paper, my senior capstone paper for that class was on uh, a song of ice and fire and character agency and who the main characters really are. Um, uh, but we got to vote on which books we were going to cover in the class. Each person uh, or or a group of people, you could do a, a group presentation of up to three people or you could do it by yourself or with a partner. You would present a like an argument for why we should cover the book you want in the class. And that was what the whole first two weeks was. It was just presentations. And then we voted as a class on like the 13 books we wanted to cover. That's t- that's awesome. That's pretty. And cool. I, I got a Game of Thrones in it. Uh, we also covered the uh, House of Leaves by Mark oh. Z. Danielewski, which is the kind of the original, um, like uh, super stylistic um, book with annotations and narration layered on top of each other, the yeah, way the Illuminate files are. Yeah. Um. We covered The Hunger Games. We covered The Road by Cormac McCarthy. We covered Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. We covered, um, oh man, we covered Volume 1 of The Walking Dead. Uh, like, we covered all kinds of crazy stuff, including two movies. We So we did, um, we read the book for Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close and then watched the movie. And, and the first section was about adaptations. And the other movie we watched is called Adaptation, uh, which, which stars... Um, Nicolas Cage, which is the best Nicolas Cage movie there is. <laughs> oh, I'd um, fight you on that. No, it's really good. Yeah. Uh, but but when we got to The Walking Dead, zombie book, zombie graphic novel. Yep. One of the things our professor brought up is that over the past now about 60 years, there is a measurable ebb and flow in the interest in American popular fiction of vampires versus zombies. And that ebb and flow almost perfectly matches whether a Republican or a Democrat is in office. (laughs) Are you serious? I am serious. 
Okay. When Republicans are in office, oh, vampire fiction shoots up in popularity. When Democrats are in office, zombie fiction shoots up in popularity. I would think that's just because of that's just a, an indicator of public interest. Like I'm, how, like I'm just I'm saying, the attention a, span of the public. It is a 60-year trend. And <laughs> yeah, sure. this book came out vampire book right at the beginning of George Bush's presidency I after have. Bill Clinton was voted out of office. Hold on, no, this the is Walking a, Dead. George Bush took office in 2000. This 2000. is 2002. Yes. Yeah. At the okay. start of his 8-year presidency. And he wrote the book in 2001. It's true. He would have written, yeah, okay. And then okay. The Walking Dead shot up in popularity in like 2009, 2010, right after Obama took office. Oh, uh, yeah. I would say that the, the, the public is and, just and of... And so like Twilight was at the end of Bush. Right. And Twilight to The Walking Dead was the bridge. Like there, you can go it's back and, and like yeah. look at the... Um, Look at the trends. Like he he had a whole slideshow of of like when zombie books and vampire books were getting published, uh, matched to the red and blue timeline of presidents. It was uncanny. But so I thought this was going to be a zombie book, and then when I realized, I was like, oh, of course not. It's a vampire book because it's right at the beginning of Bush's presidency. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I got such a crack out of it. Nice. Very nice. Very nice. Um, sticking with our style discussion here, I still want to ask you, did you notice any more awkward sentences you know, on a phrase-by-phrase basis like I did here? Yes. Um, I mean, it didn't, it didn't, definitely didn't take me too far out of the book. I don't, I don't want to say, I'd be like... It didn't too much, no. Uh, yeah. There was, there was only one that really graded me as like a, on a sentence, like word usage level. At the beginning of chapter eight, when Harry's um, Harry's just gotten home with Susan, and the the vampire siblings are meeting him, and he describes uh, Kyle. I think Kyle Hamilton is his name. Yeah, and he says one of the vampires let out a velvet laugh and stepped out into the dim light. He wasn't particularly tall, and he moved with a casual and dangerous grace that belied his crystal blue eyes, styled blonde hair, and the tennis whites he wore. How does moving with grace belie having blue eyes? Yeah, sure. Like, it's like he just didn't know know what the word meant, but didn't know how to, like, construct the sentence to, to give the whole description he wanted to. Yeah, like, that's fair. That's fair. I didn't. That one did stick out to me, but I can see. I, I have to absolutely see what you're saying about it. For me, there was just a couple of things like using like phrases like "rampaging round" when just rampaging would have been sufficient. Uh, sure. These, yeah. the, but they, it, they, it just like bothered said, me where I was like, uh, apparently you can't be casual and graceful if you have blue eyes and blonde hair. Yeah, like, right. What? Right. <laughs> there were quite a few times when I would look at a sentence and I actually thought this time, like, oh, maybe this is just me. Like, I'm maybe getting ahead of myself. I I should be approaching this like a dude who reviews them the book overall. I'm not an English professor, but there is this one quote in chapter 12. I cannot believe this isn't the one that actually stuck out to you here. Chapter 12. I hated all these bullies, vampires, demons, and bloodthirsty old deities rampaging around. Oh, sorry, that was that was the one I just talked about. The next mm-hmm. one is actually chapter 37, the one that was so 37? glaring to me that actually kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I stared at the spell I had wrought and couldn't believe it had come for me, whether or not I'd taken the power. 
maybe even some primal knowledge of the spell from yes. Kravos' devoured spirit, the magic had come from me. I had killed them as swiftly and as efficiently as with as little forethought as one gives to crushing an ant. Yes. That's five as's. Uh, five yep. as's in a single sentence. I do remember that one. Uh, it was... It, it didn't take me out um, in the same sense where I was like, he just plain used the wrong word there. Sure. Uh, but it, it made me stumble. Like, it made me notice. Yeah. His, I had to go back and reread it because I lost my His rhythm. sentence constructions. Yeah. I'll repeat that one. I had killed them as swiftly and as efficiently as with as little forethought as one gives to crushing an ant. Yeah. I, that's that's <laughs> just a Simile disaster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, what is... Yeah. But I mean, I, I feel like I'm knocking on it too much because I still really had a lot of fun reading this book. But yeah, I, I had to bring that one up and just throw that at you, see what you made of it. Uh, I will say uh, another compliment to balance my complaint there. It ended amazingly. And by ended, I mean the last page was incredible. First off, Susan went away, which I was hoping for. And it sounds like uh-huh. it'll be for a while. I'm certain she'll be back eventually, perhaps when yeah, you know, we need Harry so. to have another weak spot. <laughs> <laughs> but there, here's the hoping that she's at least absent from the next book. I'm still going through this series for the first time. Maybe Harry will have the chance to reconnect with Murphy. I still want that to happen. I'm pretty sure a lot sure. of people at this point would still want that to happen. But the ending... As much as I feel like I, I complain <laughs> more in this episode than I'm meaning to, Butcher has this incredible talent for beginning and ending his books. These final lines were the stuff of just dreams for any aspiring writer. And I'm going to be going over it later in this episode of my favorite scenes, but I'm not going to quote those just yet. I'm going to save Ooh, it. Okay, okay. But, oof, yeah, good stuff. I'm ready for um, characters. I, Anything I do else style? Few, I do have a few more style points. Okay. Um, uh, I had a... a an appreciation. So this is the funny thing, like that happens with writers often. I found, okay, when they start writing in language in usage that they're not used to, authors are a lot more um, stingy about sticking to the rules. Uh, we're going to see it a lot in the next book. So I have read a little bit of the next book. There's a lot of Latin, and he makes kind of. Latin jokes about Spelled? certain characters not knowing Latin as well as others. And and Latin is obviously a very formalized language, has tons and tons of rules. It's infamous for it. Um, and so at certain points, he really sticks to the rules, and at certain points, he doesn't. Oh. And that's a character thing. But here in this book, oh. we get into some of the, like, the more formalized um, English from centuries past. You know, he talks about, like, how the vampires don't really evolve with the times much. Um, and and then we get, you know, the nightmare. And there's one line that I did appreciate. You know, wizard, it howled in triumph. Wizard, the sun is sinking. I will tear out thy heart. I will hunt thy friends and their children. I will slay them all. And I stopped in the middle of that and I highlighted I was like, it should be thine heart. And, and then really? I kept reading. And then the next paragraph starts with him going... It's thine heart, I muttered, and <laughs> no, you won't. Okay. And I was like, "Oh, nice!" Like, <laughs> and I see. yeah, so I like I appreciate that he's taking the time to to really like make sure he's establishing this things. is intentional yeah. and it's not necessarily just a stumble. Okay, and yeah, and then, but that also highlights again the fact that like he when he writes in vernacular English. He's not really 
always using words the right way, as the word belied nah. indicates. Okay, um, fair, fair. And, and yeah, it's like, I got a chuckle out of it, but also took me out of the story where I was like, okay, if you can put the time and attention into this, you can put the time and attention into other things. Um, but, uh, let's see. Yeah, okay. And this is my last style point. And this is the probably the biggest issue I had with the book. Uh, okay. His scene transitions. This reminded me, like, at certain points, not, not throughout the whole book, but at certain points, reminded me of The Ruin of Kings. Where they're just playing, wow. like, weren't transitions. Where something would, would be happening, and then just without any indication, without any transfer, without any transition, boom, something else is happening. And the worst culprit for this was during the vampire party where we have this whole tension building about how they're kind of like getting cornered by the red court vampires and, and they're seeing like all of these innocent people being taken off into the shadows and, and uh, like there's the poisoning that's going down. And then suddenly like without any transition at all, suddenly he's just having this, totally isolated conversation with Leah and making a deal that like, you know, with Susan and and all of this is just happening in this random bubble in the middle of the party. And all of the tension that Butcher spent a chapter and a half building before that is gone. And then they get to the end of this conversation with Leah. And then suddenly we can worry about the vampires again. Like there was no, there was no shifting. There was no awareness of the scene around it. Like, it really reminded me of a couple of scenes from the beginning of Ruin of Kings where there, there are a couple of characters. Talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah, like a couple of characters having this intensely intimate conversation. And then because the author needed an action scene to happen, one character just ends the conversation, walks out the front door and gets attacked by a demon in the street. It's like, <laughs> where did that, you know, and like... This kind of stuff is what really does take me out of the book. And and that's mm. why I say that while I think this is my favorite one, I'm I I can't quite like call this a really good book. Uh because there are some narrative level things that didn't jive for me. Okay. I think he's improving. I definitely think he's improving. But okay. it's a lot slower of an improvement than I thought it was going to be, especially given the way uh, so many people have been commenting online. Yeah, whenever I like, I post a, a review on Goodreads, like I, I posted the Full Moon review, which I, I didn't love that book. And I had like three or four people comment and be like, oh, don't worry, that's the worst book. Just wait till book three. It's so much better. And I'm like, book three was better, but I wouldn't say it was you. like this monumental leap in quality. Um, yeah, and, and there have been people posting on Facebook, you know, on our Facebook page. Um, I've seen things on Twitter, on Reddit, on Discord, you know, people talking about how how the structure of the series is like, there are the first two books, and then there's the rest of the series. And, and I can understand that. Uh, the way the first two books 
structurally stand on their own, where it's like a flavor of the week thing, you could just pick up Full Moon and read it and be fine. You don't really need to read Stormfront. And you could just pick up Grave Peril and read it and be fine. But I get the impression that going forward, that's not going to be the case anymore. I'm hoping it's not. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it being that way, but... but Yeah, so I think that delineation there is more in terms of how the story is structured, where it's going from an episodic format to a serialized format, and and that the reason so many people love the series from book three onward is because they're used to epic fantasy series, Mm. not epic fantasy stories all set in a world together, Mm. you know? Like yeah, and and this good. is where um, I I will continue making callbacks to Garrett Pi. This is where Garrett Pi really diverges. I've read seven books in that series. We have not gotten to a point in that series yet where there's like this kind of unifying um, storyline that's going to drive it going forward. And I get the impression from it that that's just not going to happen at all. I mean, I'm halfway through the series. It's 14 books. I've read seven of them. Wow. And it's, wow. it's been episodic the whole way through. Uh, like, it's like Cook isn't interested in writing another epic fantasy. He's interested in writing fantasy noir. Mm-hmm. And Jim Butcher started writing fantasy noir, but decided he did want to write epic fantasy. I'm interested to see where it goes. I'm still excited, very excited going forward. I have no reservations about the next book. I know I'm going to have fun, yeah, but I, yeah. I'm just worried that my complaints are going to be the exact same complaints. <laughs> so, But uh, I'm ready to move on to characters. How about you? Should we start with Harry? Sure. I guess we kind of have to, right? I mean, yeah, he's still entertaining for me, a little exasperating at times, I'll admit. He's just so damn stubborn. He has this habit of putting the story on hold while he just pouts for pages at a time before inevitably i should say inevitably usually sometimes giving into logic i still don't get the idea behind a few of the things that he does like hey i'm going to a vampire ball i've been i've been invited there i decided i wasn't and now i'm going there after all you know a place where i'm surrounded by surrounded by monsters who are looking for any excuse to kill me horribly and then we throw it in a very politically sensitive situation on top of that danger to boot what a perfect time to dress up like a total douchebag and with the strict and sole intent of just insulting everybody there because i'm clever or something i mean if butcher had made had just made the joke as maybe perhaps a scenario in harry's head that he considers for a second and then dismisses or even if it had been like lamely justified with some sort of well it's advantageous for me because now they're so pissed off they can't reason properly but we got nothing like that it's just it's literally harry showing up and saying yeah so i'm just a dickhead enjoy everybody that's all that, that is what it. it is yep it, it's i it's go ahead. i liked it did you yeah, the idea is spoil it right now that that was my favorite scene in the book Oh my god. Was Harry and Michael walking in dressed like a, a Knight of the Cross and, and a discount Halloween store Count Dracula? The idea is funny. <laughs> it is a, it is it is a very comedic, objectively funny thing. <laughs> but I feel like it would have worked better as just like a side joke or like a scenario that he that he thinks of and dismisses. The fact that he actually went through with it just made it took him to the, the 
I felt like, what a child. I was like, come on, man. I'll, I'll talk about that scene more in, in our favorite scenes. Okay. I don't want to completely spoil it. But, but yeah, I have reasons for why I like that so much. I will say, I, I liked the reveal. The fact that we just got the description of what he was wearing first, and it kind of worked into the reveal that Michael was like, are you seriously uh-huh. doing this, this, this specifically? Because by then, I was already hooting with laughter when we were just going into the description of the makeup and the, and the, the popped collar and the dark, yeah. you know, the, the fangs. And I was like, okay, I see, and I like where this is going. But I was tired of it within 30 seconds. And then it just oh, okay. remained a... Th- it remained a major inconvenience for our characters, and I was like, oh my god, well, he so deserves this. Why would you do that? <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, that was uh, just, I, yeah. Go ahead. So, uh, talking about Harry's character, uh, once again, is it's tough for me, because I just don't care much about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the side characters are, are continue to be way more interesting. Thomas was my favorite character in this book. Uh, I thought he was by far the most fascinating, has the most potential for interesting development going forward. I would say that would be Michael for me. Uh, I do like Michael. I yeah. do like Michael a lot. Um, he's he's probably my second favorite character. And Bob. Uh, I, my man, Bob. <laughs> but yeah, Harry. Uh, Harry. Um, yeah, we did get a lot more Bob in this book. But with Harry himself, uh, I just don't see much dynamicism in his character. We're three books in, and he is still basically the same person he was at the beginning of the first book. He's changed a little bit. He he grew enough at the end of this book to propose to Susan, where he never would have done that in the first book. Uh, but but it was also like, it, it didn't feel like earned character growth that he was proposing to her. It was much more of an external pressure because she's been... 50% turned to a vampire. Yeah. That if she hadn't had that vampire issue going on, he wouldn't have proposed to her. Like, that that was the impression I got. So it was like, we're three books in, and I feel like our main character is pretty static. I agree. I wouldn't say that it bothers me. I kind of like a pretty, uh, I don't know, I shouldn't say stubborn, a pretty static main character, at least for for the first little bit. I realize we're only like, we're not even a quarter of the way into the series. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really expecting too much change yet. That didn't take yeah. me out of the book, so much how as many, he's just illogic at times. Uh, how many books are there in this series? Have you looked it up? I know uh, it's I something like 17, 18, or 20, or something like that. Oh, jeez. Oh boy, yeah, we're going to be doing this for a while, Rob. <laughs> oh sure, hey, I mean, we're gonna we're still going to split it up. We're not going to go, you know, like three through 20 in a row but yeah we're we're, we're gonna be having conversations about harry dresden for the next i'd say two years few months. So. oh two years no 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 well for the entire series you want to cover the entire series in the next how long well we're doing one book a week but yeah no uh like i uh, we will definitely be covering dresden files for months here and, oh, and yeah. it could be as the books get longer because i have noticed um uh with Summer Night is significantly longer than Grave Peril. Grave Peril was longer than Full Moon. Is it like, really, though? There's... Because it's fewer pages on my e-reader. I have to check the font size um, then. Yeah, I looked up some word counts, and it, it grows, and then it kind of plateaus uh, for the most part. Um, but, like, Stormfront was, like, 80, 82 or 84,000 words, and some of the books get up to nearly 200,000. So maybe those will wow. we'll split in half. We'll do okay. two weeks. Yeah. Uh, I suppose I was but, leaving room in our brain. But we're definitely not going to be doing any, like, 
five weeks for Rhythm of War type stuff, you know? Yeah, know. <laughs> yeah. we will be covering Dresden Files in its entirety. Yeah. Who just? Yeah. We don't know how many breaks we're going to take along the ride, you know? Yeah, and, and who knows? Like, maybe we burn out a little bit in the middle of it, and we decide I we want to do, God, like, a trilogy. I swear to God, if book five or book six starts with another femme fatale, I might want to put, like, a, a two-month <laughs> hiatus on this f***ing series. <laughs> Come on. Well, I, I don't know. I, I would say... Don't get your hopes up, because if he yeah, continues no. with the trope, the deliberate trope, it, it will. I mean, it, I'm, you know, I've talked about that the Garrett, Garrett P.I. Is there another beautiful and, woman at the beginning of book four? Uh, there is. Of course there is. Yeah. Uh, but it, but it's different. Like, uh, and, and that's where where I talked about at the beginning of this book, how he, he was conscious of the trope, and he made sure it wasn't just the same thing each time. Where this time it kicked off with an action scene and then rewound to the damsel in distress. And I don't, I'm not going to spoil anything for you, but at the beginning of the fourth book, yes, there's a beautiful woman who shows up in his office. But it's not the same type of damsel in distress situation. Uh, situation, like, okay. okay. I didn't I didn't have an issue with it at all. Um, uh, there was mm-hmm. a little bit of an, uh, like an eye roll moment when he starts, of course, describing the woman in his office. Uh, oh, where I was like, oh, yeah. of course, I'll you know, she's one, the most beautiful woman she's uh, he's ever seen. But then he goes on, and I was like, oh, okay, no, I'm all right with this. Like, but okay, but yeah. Okay. So it's so like that's just Harry, though. You know, like maybe it's Stockholm syndrome. Maybe I've read three of these books now, and and mm. and I'm like getting used to him just being like kind of skeevy about every woman he encounters. <laughs> Um, okay. where I'm, I'm able to just say, well, that's just Harry. Like, oh, Harry. Maybe that's not antics. a good thing. Uh, yeah. but, <laughs> but, okay, but yeah. I want to, I want to, I still want to bitch about his, his, his plan though to allow mm. Kravos to mm. kill his dream self and then trust mm. that Susan's CPR in the real world is going to bring him back, but still have a ghost of himself as an ally. I just, that seems so convoluted and it stretches so far. It just, it, the, the plausibility price there is just out of my price range. Honestly, I'm like, yes. come on. What about um, uh, yeah. Uh, I also had a major problem with the contrivances at the end of this book. Okay. Yeah. There were uh, a couple of things that really bugged me. One of them being what you just described, where it's like, Harry's still alive, sort of, but his ghost is also there. Like Harry, Harry's consciousness is still intact, but yep. he has a ghost. Yep, because I guess the like, ghost is just the imprint of Harry, and like what? Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, like I, I, uh, you know, That's I don't know about P. that one. I don't know about that one, Jim. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, but then the other one was during the actual like climactic battle of the book when Harry summons all of these ghosts and they uh-huh. burn down the mansion. I'm like, wait a second. Since when can ghosts cast fire spells? Like, like there were so many rules or, or magic, uh, just, just lore. There was so much lore introduced yeah. right at the moment he needed it to happen. Oh my in the God. Book. Oh my God. I couldn't decide if I wanted to bitch about this because I couldn't find the words for it, but you were so right. I was thinking this the entire time. The number yeah. of times it's like, well, 
uh, the the rule about the the spirits not being able to enter the ha- like the homes depending on whether they're yeah. invited or not. I'm like, where was this in the past few books? Like what? Uh, just... Yes, and he did a little bit of like hand waving away, where he's like, oh well, actually, he has a bachelor pad, so it doesn't really count. Right. So the demon could come in. Yeah. yeah and actually, that's... the demon didn't cast any spells, so it was just physical damage. But but then we have like a swarm of ghosts crossing the threshold into Bianca's mansion and having so much magic at their disposal they can burn it down. Yep. Like, uh, yep. I, I suppose a lot uh, of them have been there for hundreds of years. So it's kind of more their home than anyone else's now. Yeah, but there are going to be a couple other things. Um, I'm going to bring this up <laughs> on our next episode. There are, oh. there have already been a couple of things like this at the beginning of Summer Night, um, yeah. where I was like, this really should have been at least hinted at or foreshadowed earlier. Yeah, there's I, that's a that's a perfect way to put it, my friend. There right there. The thing the number of times in this book, there was like at least 3 or 4 t- separate times where I was kind of pulled out of the story because I had to think to myself, why haven't we learned about this before? Why are we just learning about this as it's conveniently perfect for us to learn about this now? Like because yeah. we need to learn about this now. <laughs> Brandon so, Sanderson, he is not. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Of course. So and, and um, I guess this is really a style thing, but I, I had it in my miscellaneous oh points. Yeah, we're still on Harry, um, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, I have nothing else to say about Harry. I do want to say so. I love. I've been waiting for these like this entire time, three books now, to see a truly pissed off entire well of his gathered power moment, Harry Dresden, and that fire was chef's kiss i mean that was that was exactly what i was waiting for and even though i had to wait well two and a half three books for it i it still lived up to the hype i'm flat i'm glad that we finally got that explosive moment of anger there was one close to that in the first book when he was breaking into the diner after marconi i think and his thugs but it still wasn't like this kind of epic epic moment i would love to see this on the screen you know Um, um it was a cool action scene also kind of broke the rules of the story though because he hadn't gotten his power back he like he was still missing the chunk of his power that the nightmare Unless stole and then suddenly capable. he can nuke a mansion yeah, basically just then just imagine what he could do if he had his entire power well, well no but the point is like a couple chapters earlier he could like barely make his his basic spell work Maybe. and yeah. now he can create a towering inferno sure. Like, uh, I, eh. yeah, because that, that could just be like adrenaline. Like, oh, you have your arms broken, you lift a car off yourself or something like that. I just, I'm, I think it's just like, it's expanding the horizon okay. of what he's truly capable of. Maybe in book seven or book 14 or, you know, he's going to, he's going to have some nuclear mm. kind of reaction to something. I really look forward to that. Oh my gosh. I just took a, my first sip of my second beer. You're si- Ooh. So, oh my goodness. strong? delicious Ooh, what okay. is in this my last harry dresden point it's a very stupid aesthetic thing but it, it's continuing to irk me i'm getting real tired of how many times harry says hell's bells yes um so this was another miscellaneous point i had i looked it up say it so did i yeah i searched in book for the on the e-reader for the phrase how many uh, times did, did you, you look up in book one and two nope he barely says it in books one and two Okay. And it is that. all over the place in book three. In book three? 26 like, times. Yep. Uh, I believe book one was like... I would guess like three. 
Um, in book one. Uh, let me let me look it up again. Uh, maybe five in book two or six in book two. It is three in book one and oh six God. in book two and I then 26. It. Yeah. Are you serious? And, I was pulled that out of my ass. Yeah. I had to pull my note up. Yeah. Wow. It was three, six, 26. Wow. It was like he just forgot how to use any other curse. Wow. Yeah. Dude, that's too much. I hope the trend doesn't continue. We're going to find it 86 times in book four. Oh no! Oh no! <sighs> anyway, okay, I'm done with. He does with use Harry. it in book four. I, I have I'm sure noticed he does. that. Um, you say it on page. If he says it on page one, I'm gonna throw that damn e-reader out the door. Uh, he says it twice in chapter one. Oh my! Uh, God. Sixteen times in book four. So it, it goes down. Okay. Well, right. and and I wanted to make this point, and and I think that's um a good transition into Michael as a character. Okay. The reason he uses it so much is because it's like Butcher was trying to make Harry this counterpoint to Michael. Right. Where Michael's the straight laced Catholic, you know, like stereotypical, like any cursing around me is right. Right. The, and, and to, and wanted to make it funny because Harry's cursing with hell and that's like that doesn't insult anybody, uh, yep. but it's like, oh well, this guy is super Catholic, so that's going to insult him. And like, <laughs> and so there, uh, there are aspects of Michael that I really love um, uh, as this kind of paladin character, um, but I didn't totally appreciate some of the depictions. I mean, I I am Catholic. You know, like, I'm a practicing Catholic. And there were things that Butcher, like, played as jokes where I'm like, you you just didn't, you misunderstood or you misinterpreted this aspect of Catholicism and then turned it into a joke. And it's like, yeah, whatever. Like, really? do your thing. Like, but, hmm. yeah, like, um... I don't. Know, I don't want. I don't want to like get on my pulpit or anything like that. Pun very much intended. Uh, but but there there are a lot of Catholic stereotypes that I see in popular culture that are based on misunderstandings of our religion. That I'm like, that's not what we believe. Like you can joke about that, sure, but like that's not what we believe. You're you're you trying to make fun of us examples? for something that. Um. Cause I'm trying to think of any. I mean, I mean, the Hell's Bells thing is is the early one, you know, like just the cursing it, thing. Uh, yeah, like where where Harry's like has this idea that like a Catholic person is like super straight laced, never ever ever curses, and if you curse around me, it's like like in terms of like the Ten Commandments, the Second Commandment, you know, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. That doesn't say anything about cursing. That's talking about Taking the name of the Lord in vain, right? Okay. Right. Okay. Okay. Like, like, look, I come from a very large, very Irish Catholic family. Uh, we drink, we curse. <laughs> <laughs> like those, those are the bless. two big things that I see people being like, "Oh, you know, you're Catholic. Oh, you're probably like super straight at." It. I'm like super prude. Yeah. 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 Well, oh, that's the other thing. It's Prudish. like, yeah, you're you're super prude. I'm like, look goes hand in hand my, my parents had six hand. kids yeah my uncle and his and aunt they had nine not very prude like <laughs> <laughs> right 
Hey, Michael's oh. on his second or third, I think, right? He's still pretty yeah, he's still a younger he's, guy. He's, he's, he's got a family going. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. I did end up getting on my, my little couch. No, no. I, I asked you for clarification, so that's part. Uh, yeah, that's, that's on me, too. I was just I wanted a little bit of elaboration myself, I asked. But, but nonetheless, I like Michael. Um, yeah, sure. There are, there are things I, I identify with him with, and there are things that Butcher got right. I, I appreciated his depiction of Father Forthill. Um, I liked how he, like, he depicted the church as a sanctuary. Uh, like, it's really easy for for people nowadays to depict, like, churches as, like, houses of greed. Um, right. And. Especially here in Canada. Lately. And there there are, um, oh, yeah, well, well Canada's got its own yeah. uh, church scandal going on yeah. right now with the, the indigenous. Yeah. Uh, Children, it's been but quite uh, the hot topic up here lately. Yeah, uh, but like one of those like kind of things that people have a hard time separating is the church as a collective whole and churches, uh, and especially like denominations of churches, where a lot of the in America at least a lot of the impression of like greed comes from these like mega churches right like you you get these like celebrity pastors who are flying around on private jets everywhere right and, right, right you know and it's like <laughs> like look at these greedy guys who are supposed to be christians and and they're just like raking in hundreds and hundreds of million dollars and living the good life uh rather than you know like being stewards of their flock uh, and then, and then there's also the impression of like the Church of Rome, the Catholic Church, where it's like, look at how rich the Catholic Church is. They're like it; it's one of the one of the wealthiest organizations in the world. But when you break it down onto like a parish by parish basis, like I live uh, the town I live in, there are four Catholic parishes in my town. One of them is like in a more affluent part of town. And they just had a big renovation, expanded the church. Um, uh, but even then, it was like that church was literally in an old gymnasium. Mm. Like, mm. Uh, just because it's a Catholic church doesn't mean they're rich. So there's another parish uh, uh, that's in in a very poor neighborhood of town. This church rides the razor's edge. Like, they survive on tithing. Like they're they're the church had like peeling paint, broken windows. Like it's if if I were to win the lottery tomorrow, I would make a hefty donation to them because this church is literally crumbling. But it's a Catholic church, and people think, oh, Catholic parish. Like, well, they're super wealthy. It's like no, on a on a parish by parish basis, it's it's not this like house of greed that so many people think of. And I appreciated him depicting a Catholic parish here, not as that. Like, hmm. it, it, it's... Man, I really got on my Catholic pulpit. No, I'm no, sorry. No, I, I, I will say, I'm, I'm so far myself removed from the entire <laughs> sphere of religion, religious matters, that I will, I will admit going in, I don't even know what a parish is. That's how far removed I uh, am. Basically an individual church. An individual church and the okay. and the I got the sense go that there. it meant the same as like jurisdiction, but in like a religious sense. But you sort of. Church, I mean, so. there used to be um, like the term parish in in like medieval Europe. Like it, it was a 
an area of land. Sure. Um, so like in, in, okay, so it was a geographic in the Catholic organization, definition. individual churches have parishes and then there are many parishes in a diocese. And so wow. a parish I'm learning has, all kinds a, of new words has a priest, uh, usually, uh, what we call a pastor. And then depending on the size of the parish, there may be other priests under him that are called parochial vicars. And then the diocese has a bishop in charge of all the pastors. Oh. And then if the diocese is big enough, that's when you get an archbishop. And then there's also a monsignor, which is like a, a kind of an interim, like like a, a very high-ranking priest, but he's not in charge of, you know, like a whole diocese. Kind of and, then, and then there are cardinals far more who are in charge of, you know, like, so there's a hierarchy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and that's one of the things that uh, I think uh, the Catholic church inspires a lot in fantasy that you see is this idea of like a hierarchical, a very strict hierarchical, mm. um, yeah, a lot of things either, are clicking like in place. religion or, or magic system. I mean, there, you can find the seeds of it all throughout epic mm. fantasy over the last 50, 60 years. Yeah. As a. As a character, I, I mean, I really like Michael. I feel like this is the character that everyone is meant to like. His heroics mixed with his complete refusal to be modest about his modesty. Yeah, the guy uh, is a, he's just a winning character. Yeah. Yeah, I I appreciated uh, his stolidity. Um, stolidity. That's a, that's an excellent in, word for it. Uh, yeah, like in contrast to Harry, like he is absolutely meant to be a foil for Harry. <laughs> and like I said, you know, there were some aspects of it that I was like, yeah, like, but, but for the most part, I think it really works. Uh, he's, he is that paladin, right? Like if we're going to the D and D tropes where. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, um, but he has his own sense of humor to it. Like he's, he's not bereft of personality despite being this like rigidly, um, you know, like a defender, like I'm going to do my duty, Stolid. you know? Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. And, and there, me. and what, what really made me like Michael was how butcher introduced tragedy with him in this book. He, he not only loses Amarachius for a while and we see how that affects him, but we also see his dual concern with helping Harry and needing to be with his wife and with his family. Yeah, I I really appreciated. Like, he was just so much more fascinating than Harry in this book. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> he, he's a man with 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 simultaneous parts of his personality pulling him apart in opposite directions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In 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 the, the the fact that he's constantly trying to 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 walk that line, and still remains somebody who is. The, he's essentially the same guy at the end of the book as he is at the beginning of the book, you know, with just with a lot more context now for who he is. I just, I, I really, I did find him. You're absolutely right. I found him to be far more fascinating than Harry. This holy knight Templar who's also a soccer dad. You know, the combination is just genius. Not a knight Templar. Not knight a knight Templar? The there's a difference? Yeah, they Sorry? actually make a joke about it at the uh, vampire ball. That they said Templar, didn't they? That's probably why I wrote around yeah. the word Templar. Uh, he's a Knight of the Cross. There are three Knights of the Cross um, who have the three swords that are made with okay. the nails okay. from okay. the actual cross Jesus was hung on. 
Okay, I must have written that exact uh, point down when yeah. I got to that point in the uh, to that joke in the, at, the, at the ball. The ball. Yeah, there's. Yeah. Um, I the can't court, remember the vampire the, court. The actual line. Yeah, he goes. It was it was uh, Thomas who said it. He's like Michael, dressed as a knight templar, and there Michael go. goes something like that. <laughs> That's the point at which I wrote down that point. Yeah. Yeah, and then f- for a moment, oh, oh, it's um. Uh, Kelly, the vampire, and she goes, for a moment, you almost had me thinking that he might be a true Knight Templar. No, I said judiciously, not a Knight Templar. Oh, Something much, much more than a Knight Templar. Yeah. <laughs> nice. That's, yeah. that's, that's pretty much everything I wanted to say about Michael. I'm ready to move on to other characters. How about you? Anything left about Michael Carpenter? No, let's talk about Leah. Leah, the godmother? Yes. Okay. I don't, I How do you write down feel anything. about this? I thought it was a little mm, cliche, or just really huh. cliche is not the word I want to use. Uh, okay. It's just it's a little. Contri- I'll say contrived. Actually, I'll, I will use contrived in the place of cliche. All right. Yeah. Like this is another one of those things where I felt it could have been foreshadowed better. Um, Agreed. Obviously, Butcher is doing something with these books where he is actively trying to. Tease, but hide Harry's past. You know, yeah. like, yeah. we oh, know yeah. that he used to have um, a, a teacher named Justin that mm-hmm. he killed. But we don't really know how or why other than there was, like, black magic involved. A duel. And, he was and then young. we know he yeah. had a woman he loved named Elaine. And that's about it. Oh, I forgot about that. And, yeah. and I think yeah. the fairy godmother may have been mentioned, like once or twice in the first two books, like super in passing. Honestly, if she was, I didn't even pick up on it. Um, I, I, I think so. I'm not a hundred percent certain of that. I will say I have a bit of hope. I, I, I have a bit of hope that she represents a very, uh, stable backbone of centralized story going forward rather than, you know, flavor of the week thing. If like, yeah, I, I like, I can see her being a, a, a centerpiece of the of the the overall plot going forward. I have hope for that. See, I just looked in Stormfront. Um, there's one mention of it at the very beginning. He says, "I do have a godmother, and she is inevitably, perhaps, a fairy." But that's another story. <laughs> and so it's like <laughs> I really like that. I really like that. Yeah. Um. Uh, but but at the same time, it's like yeah, that's a nice reference. But I feel like you need to have. Yeah. more growing for the very sudden very important role she plays in this yeah um but i did like her as a character i think she's a, a good villain um she's she's a good villain for harry i take her seriously because she's difficult yeah. for him to deal with like she's she doesn't operate on the same level as harry so he can't just do his normal thing dealing with her. Sure. I, I take her a lot more seriously than I took than I took uh, uh, Kravos. Kra- Kravos. I can't remember his name Kravos. now. Kravos. Yeah. I took I take uh, Leah more seriously than I take Kravos or Victor Sells for oh, that. Oh, for matter. sure. Yeah. Yeah. She's yeah. she does feel like she represents a larger and uh, I don't know more overwhelming threat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean. I just, there's nothing particular that I'm like, hmm, finding original about her. <laughs> all right, all but, right. Let's talk yeah. about Thomas. How much did Thomas. you like Thomas? 
I he he struck me like Ellen Venture struck me in the first Mistborn. He's like, oh, he's kind of a cheeky what? guy, and I don't mind reading about him, but I, there's nothing really exciting about him yet. He just seems like a surprisingly polite dude. What? Wow, what? very different impressions. Like he's super sarcastic, totally yeah, that, like uh, look like what, irreverent. Take his like, actions next to his words. Yeah. Sure, he betrays he's... them in the middle of the friggin' battle. Like, okay, oh, that's right, because he's the one that that was like, "Sorry, I, I, I care about this and that, but I care about myself more." Right? I just, re- I just remembered that line. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. I totally forgot about that because he's yeah, still. Yeah, I don't like, think he's anything like after Ellen Justine <laughs> is is kidnapped. Suddenly, he turns into this like shell. I'm like, oh, okay, so this is who he truly yeah. is. He's a guy with his heart, you know, not on his sleeve, but yeah, but I, I like him because he's he's super sarcastic. He's irreverent. He's willing to like you know, rib the people around him. Yeah, He's sure. willing to kind of I just, to, to rock the boat. I was a little surprised that he was just throwing in with Harry, like, against, like, in the fight at the vampire court, he's suddenly just like, actually, I'm, I'm here now. It was like a really awkward kind of Joss Whedon superhero moment. I was like, okay, I'm here now too. And I was like, okay, you are part of the group. That, all right. I was just... I, uh, I can see that to an extent. Um, I... I think that was a deliberate choice on Butcher's part to slowly reveal his motivations. Um, like, I think he wanted us to be jarred by uh, Thomas joining them, and that would make us distrust him, and that would make the temporary sure. betrayal land sure. harder. But then have, you know, this twist where he's like, I only betrayed you for this reason, like, it's for Justine. And now I have to work with you for Justine's sake. Yeah. And so, like, he's he's not a good dude by any means, but he's fun, and I think he works really well with Harry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it sounds like you've given uh, Thomas more thought than I did. I'll be paying attention, I guess, more going forward, if he makes a return in the next part. I hope he makes a return. I really do. Oh. I like him. Should... I- should we talk about Susan? I want to, I want to get sure a lot of my bitching out of the way because she, yeah, from from beginning to end, my points on Susan are just not flattering. I'll say that I didn't like her in this book either. Yeah, no, I'm just I'm done. I'm so I'm her so going done. to the party was one of the stupidest things yes. I've ever read. Thank you, thank you. I'm first off, I'm really tired of these these just these, these this type of character getting Harry into all kinds of danger because Butcher needs to raise the stakes and protecting the girl competes with saving the world, particularly when the girl acts as dumb as a second coat of paint to force <laughs> out character there, like. Like, f- forging her own invitation and then refusing to leave when Harry tells her, like, look, bitch, every single creature here wants your intestines on a stick. And she's like, nope, I'm a strong woman who gets what she wants. Monsters be damned. They will bow before my sheer audacity. You just watch. And, of course, she gets herself into trouble and danger. And Harry's putting himself into increasingly compromising situations to save this idiot woman from throwing herself into the fire at every possible opportunity. She's like a toddler. Wandering amidst a pack of hyenas. I'm just like, oh my god, why? Why is Harry going to be exposed by the idiocy of this one? I just, mm. I love Murphy. 
I'm a big Murphy fan. Yeah. I've never been shy about it. Totally a Murphy dude. I've been saying this for weeks now. Susan needs to go. I was hoping she would die. I was hoping Ooh. she would die in this one. Because as much as I know that what that would do to Harry, I know how hard he would be on himself for it. But she's just bad for everyone, including herself. Including herself. Yeah, she is. And this, this, this flies in the... I realized that this flies in the face of my favorite scenes from last week, one of which I chose as a, this touching moment between mm-hmm. Harry and Susan. Um, but I'm, I'm at this point, I'm fully aware that everything I do like about Susan, I feel like I've been given as a reason to like about what she is for Harry rather yes. than who she is. Because when it gets down to who she is and the decisions she makes... I am beyond frustrated by it. (laughs) Yeah, I was about to remark. I'm like, yeah, you you, one of your favorite scenes last week, or it was your favorite scene. If I I think it was my favorite, yeah. Um, You included her, but it wasn't about her. It was about about Harry. Yeah, and I feel like, well, what kind of character is that? I have to, I have to take a step back and be like, it's because of what she is rather than who she is. So, so I'm so much bigger of a fan of Murphy. For that exact reason. For Murphy, it's who she is. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Do you have any other notes on characters? Bob, I think I'm... just want just to oh. really quick have a really quick chat about Bob. He's back center yeah. stage for a lot of the portions. But, like, his interactions at home with Harry are still golden. Mocking every suggestion that Harry has. You know, always trying to escape to go perv on the locals. It's just endearing in a way that, to me, Harry isn't. Even if it's, like, obviously it's going to be crude to some. Um, there's a point where Harry suggests that maybe the evil presence was invited into the victim's residence, and that's how it had so much power there, and Bob's like, yeah, okay there, but, you know, ding-dong, Solita, home delivery, may I come in? I was like, ah, he's so good. And I, I bought the audiobook and the electronic copy, so I, I cannot wait for the day where I actually do get around to hearing James Marster's delivery okay, of that one. Okay, so you have not listened. I was actually really curious. Um, because... I have both, but I read this one. Yeah. yeah, because uh, I haven't m- mentioned the word. I specifically didn't include it in my summary um, for Leah and the fairies. Okay. So the word is spelled S-I-D-H-E. Yeah. And as far as I know, that word is pronounced she. She? She. Wow. But I have heard people pronounce it Sith. What? I would guess side. Uh, so it's it's Celtic. Uh-huh. Um uh and and uh in fact if you want to like get into some of the crazy wheel of time lore, um the full name Boys. for these fairies is the Eyes She. And it's spelled A-E-S, or A-I-S-S-I-D-H-E, which I think you will recognize as very close to an organization of female magic users in the Wheel of Time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, as far as I know, that word is pronounced she, and I'm really curious if they pronounce it, or how they pronounce it in the audiobooks. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, it, this is the and kind so of thing that's Leah's full name is Leah Nan Chi. Yeah. 
I'll tell you what, I will look it up in where it is in the book. I'm sure it's close to the beginning or an end of a specific chapter somewhere. And mm-hmm. for the next book, since this is kind of like a meta thing for the overall story, I'm sure I'll have the opportunity uh, to say that's yes, how it's pronounced. it will be important for the next book. Good. Good. <laughs> okay. Okay, miscellaneous? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I only have two miscellaneous points. All right. Uh, if you have more, you can kick it off. Yeah, I have I have more, but I don't think any of them are going to be discussions. They're probably just going to be points, depending on how interesting you find them and if you want to riff on them. Um, sure. But, okay, so the first one. It was a battered piece of jewelry, scarred and dented from the uses for which it was never intended, but I wore it still. The five-sided star within the circle was the symbol of my magic, of what I believed in, embodying the five forces of the universe working in harmony contained inside of human control. I read that and I had a moment of pause. I was like, oh, that kind of sucks. Not itself, but it sucks for me because I have a very, very similar symbol in my own series that I hope to write someday. The same five-sided star uh, star representing the five fundamental forces of the universe, which is, you know, the four in the real universe plus one extra that I've included. I've even already described this symbol in one of my Patreon published writing pieces. The last one, actually. The one that's called <laughs> Convictions. I mean... Like, in my own series, it's going to have a different color associated with each line of that five-sided star, so that's already one distinction that I've got going. But I read that description, the five-sided star, and what it represents, and I went, damn, maybe I'm not so original no. after all. Yeah, i got to look at it. Go with it. There's nothing new under the sun. It's how you do it. <laughs> yes. It just makes me think that, oh, maybe that's a little more cliche than I thought it was. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, I don't like this treatment of the whole technology is shaky around Harry shtick that's being executed here if I'm being honest it seems that things do actually work perfectly fine around Harry so long as the plot needs them to Harry spent a long time in full moon telling Susan making sure Susan understood that she wouldn't be able to take pictures of the the werewolves the lycanthrops or the lugaru whichever one it was I think it was the lugaru I could swear that she even brought up a telephoto lens when she was trying to argue it and he just laughed it off and shot it down, like, right away. But then, at the end of the book, she managed to get a shot of one anyway, right? Yeah. And then here we've got this, I got the line here, technology doesn't work well around magic, including the feeding mechanisms of automatic weapons. That was I, I, I read that, I'm like, what? Those are just mechanical. I mean, oh, I'm sure the engine of the beetle is far more advanced than these weapons are. That wasn't what I thought you were going to bring up. No, what, what do you, what I do you think? I thought you were going to bring up a major plot point. Oh, you're about. She to... has a tape recorder going throughout the entire party, right? And, and it surra- works. <laughs> they are surrounded on all sides by not just Harry, but by hundreds of creatures of magic. Yeah, she's like right between Harry and Mavra, like two of the most powerful wizards around, and her yeah. tape recorder works fine. <laughs> yeah. I just, but but again, these are all electronic things, and of course, that makes that makes the the amateur scientist in me. That that wants to go like okay. Do you have any idea how strong an electromagnetic radiative fucking uh, 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 line would need to, to be to you know how much ionizing radiation would be involved in something that's able to knock out like the, come on like but, but it's magic. I, I'm it's not, not ionizing exactly, radiation. It's magic. Exactly, it's yeah. magic. But then it also extends to the point where it's interfering with just mechanical functions like the. Mm-hmm. Feeding mm. mechanisms of automatic weapons. You have any idea how much more involved the engine of that yeah. beetle is? Than the feeding mechanisms of automatic weapons. Yeah, there's there's like a couple of references where he talks about how it's mostly technology after World War II that right. doesn't work. But I'm like, 
okay, well, automatic weapons were around well before World well War before. II. Well, the Gatling gun was a like, civil war. Cars engine, were around it? before World War II. <laughs> right? Like, you know, w- w- why this cutoff? And I just want the consistency. Yeah. That's all. It's not the yeah, fact that it's sure, a plot sure. device. I love it as a plot device. When I saw it coming, when it was first described in book one, I was like, ooh, this is going to make things extra interesting. But it's, yeah. it, the, the consistency is not there. Yeah. That's what no, bothers me. No, it's not. So, I just, ah, I've been doing so much complaining. I don't want people to think I didn't like the book. I okay. like the book. Well, I, I, have a, I have a miscellaneous point. Go ahead. Go ahead. Take it away from like you, I again. I'm going to tie this back to my own original fiction. But not in a bad way, not in a like, oh no, you know, kind of way. Just sure. Read, read a, a quick paragraph. I watched her, watched behind her, a pair of figures in black cloaks, hardly more than vague shapes behind her stood quietly, as though ready to attack if she snapped a finger. I suppose every decent flame casts shadows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Eh? Okay. Eh? I know what you're going to say. I believe yeah. I believe there is a uh, a work of your own in question or uh, you know, behind this one. Yeah. So some of our listeners may know this already, but uh the most recent novel I wrote is titled All Flames Cast. So, and this was of course a description of Bianca at the party where she's wearing her like active fire yeah, dress. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um yeah, I I appreciated that. I I got a little smile on my face. Um, oh, and actually, uh, I have three, three, uh, hell yeah, man. One point where I will say I legitimately laughed out loud. It might be the same one that I'm about to bring up. Go for it, dude. Holy shit. I breathed. Hellhounds. Harry, Michael said sternly. You know, I hate it when you swear. You're right. Sorry. (laughs) Holy shit. I breathed. Heckhounds. (laughs) Yeah, that was a, yeah. Like, okay, I already complained a little bit about the whole, like, oh, Catholics and cursing thing, but, like, that was legitimately hilarious. <laughs> that was that was actively funny. That sounded to me like something Shalon Devar would say. <laughs> I was like, okay. I see what you did there. It gave me a, a bit of smirk. I wouldn't say I laughed a lot with it, that, but that, I did find that it That right there is a, is a Scott Lynch-level... One liner, like that's good. good stuff. That is Pretty good, good. <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, as long as well we're on done, the one liners that I liked, Ooh, or okay. that, that we liked, um, there's a moment where Mavra the vampire retreated from garlic, and the quote here is: "Those drowned blue lips peeled back from her yellowed teeth, no fangs. It matters little. You are beings of paper and cotton. I could tear apart a dozen score of your kind." Unless they had an extra spicy pizza, I guess. Just, yeah, yeah. Ah, good stuff. Very good stuff. I, I that so, one was the funniest line in the book to me. Um, my my last uh, my last miscellaneous point is a negative. Okay. And it's in the conversation, um, with like at the party with Leah and Susan and it's right after Susan makes the deal and loses her memory. And, and, and basically, you know, they're, they're kind of concluding the conversation and he says, I gotta, I gotta find it at the end of the previous chapter. Leah 
says, your power weakens with rage, dear man. Okay, that's another um, another inconsistency. Yeah, weakens with rage, says, huh? Yeah. You will not bargain, but I suppose I had plans for the sword in any case. Until then, good night, adieu. She gave me one last smile and a mocking laugh. Then she vanished into the shadows and the darkness. Okay. And then they continue their conversation. And two pages later, I shot Leah a look. Oh, wait a second. It's a bit of a, like, of a continuity error there, isn't there? Like, didn't she just disappear? <laughs> like, <laughs> Maybe he just assumes she's like stalking them and watching them from the shadows. Yeah, that, that is weird. I, I didn't pick up on that, but now it bothers me. Thanks. Yeah, that that really took me out of the scene where I was, I was like... I mean, because I, I was pretty into the scene, uh, to be honest. Like, I loved the retention. dynamic... Um, yeah. You know, like Susan turning to him and being like, oh, I'm sorry. I, I mean, I didn't mean to upset you, Mr. And he's like, Tristan. Like, you know, he's like, oh my gosh, I know what she just did. Like, that was a really fraught scene. And then suddenly he's like glaring at Leah. I'm like, what, 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 are, you, what are you talking about? She just literally melded into the shadows like a murderall and disappeared. Yeah. Like... Huh. Where are you looking? <laughs> Damn. So, uh, yeah, I, I said one of us is paying closer attention than the other one. Clearly, I didn't even notice that. I mean, but I, that kind of stuff happens all sure. the time. Where like you'll you'll pick up something I don't, I pick up something you don't. Sure. It all it all depends on on like I don't know. Kind of reading taste when you break it down, where it's like. What things are you more engaged with than yeah. I am? What, yeah, what yeah. things am I more engaged with than you are? Right. Um, but but yeah, that that I think that was my last um, my last miscellaneous. Point. My last is about the 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 pig Latin that I totally forgot was a thing. Oh, and suddenly the, I'm the reading X-nay. pig Latin. I was like, yeah. wait a because at first he didn't even just didn't. Even, describe what he was doing he just said ixnay on the open stay and play and i went hey hang on <laughs> i was like no way no <laughs> way that was pig latin that was just invoked there and then they start talking about pig latin make a few jokes about it i was like oh my god when's the last time you heard pig latin for me it was like high oh. school maybe oh no i i love pig latin <laughs> yeah yeah the moment i saw ixnay i was like oh yeah <laughs> Yeah, I'd never seen Ixnay spelled before, so it kind of threw me for a loop in the first few so, seconds. Uh, real off-topic deep cut here. Uh, <laughs> classic punk album, before they even really went like pop punk. Ixnay on the Ombre by The Offspring. Really? Yeah. Good I check Good it. album. I gotta good check album. it. Good album. This is I'm like not... 80s Offspring. Oh, my oh, God. oh wait, no, no, it's not on the ombre. Oh my gosh, now I need to look it up. Uh, I was never a huge fan of the Offspring. Ninety-seven, ninety-seven was Ixnay on the ombre. That was yeah, that was after Smash. I was thinking it was before Smash. Um, but yeah, good album, really good okay. album. Comes recommended by Drew. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, like honestly, one of their like. Probably the most popular songs, Gone Away, is on, on Ixnay on the Umbra. Um, but yeah, there, there are some really, really okay. fun things on there. All right. You uh, uh, ready to go into favorite scenes? Sure, sure. Okay. Okay, I'll kick us off then. My third favorite. The the kidnapping of Charity and the chase that 
followed. The fact that uh, Michael had to, sorry, Michael, Harry had to leave Michael and Amarachius behind at the convenience store. I think they, he still mm-hmm. had, yeah, Amarachius at that point to chase after Charity's kidnapper. Like he's like calling for Michael, but he just, Michael's just not there. And he, he sees them getting away. So he needs to follow without Michael there. And then ending the chapter as he's just going into that situation without Michael backing him up. That's just, that for me was a very Sanderson-esque moment of, oh crap, you know? Dude, I'm, I had this as my honorable mention. Uh, I nearly included that as my third. Nice. I was, I was waffling. Uh, nice. Yes, very good scene. Cool, cool. All right, well, what did scene. make your third favorite? Uh, the aftermath of the church. The the destruction around it, and then talking with... Ooh, son of a bitch, that's my second. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> we're, we're, we're vibing right now, dude. Ooh, yeah, yeah. I I just loved the the ambiance, the, the threatening vibe of the atmosphere, the questions that you have of like, wait, why the heck did she leave? You know, yeah, and oh, oh so good, yeah. so good. That's my second favorite: the tale from Father Fordhill about the evil presence rampaging outside the church and then trying to get at at uh, Lydia. That just like just for the sheer spook factor alone, how foreboding it was. The that fear of the unknown shtick that I love. I'm such a sucker for like like even the conversation that it lent to our interactions with Bob afterwards. Like, I, I, I need, I just had to mention this scene here. I'm an absolute sucker for that kind of, uh-oh. And, and Butcher freaking nailed it. Like, I would read an entire horror, horror series from Butcher if he were to write one, just based on the, the, the spook factor of the first third of this book. I would pre-order every damn title in that series. <laughs> Butcher's got this innate talent for spooking his audience, or maybe just spooking readers who are, you know, a lot like me. But yeah, it was just, and then yeah, that you're right. The thought that Leah, uh, Lydia, Leah, yeah, Lydia just went out and decided, okay, I'm gonna go outside now. <laughs> like, I got, I got goosebumps. I actually got a physical reaction from that. It was just terrifying. That kind nice. of cold fear, that is just. So yeah, since we got some real descriptions of the different kinds of fear in this book, <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh man. So yeah, that's my second favorite. So go ahead with your second favorite. favorite. Uh, my second favorite is Leah taking Susan's memory. Oh, uh, that like I just said, that conversation was so intense. Uh, it, it was one of those things where you knew, you knew there was another shoe to drop, and. And it was like there are a couple of options of how bad it could be based on what memory she takes, you know, because you know it's not going to be the straightforward thing that Susan thinks it's going to be. And then finding out that she just removed the year's worth of memories Susan has with Harry. And you're like, ooh. Yeah. That was that was that's a heavy awesome. blow right there. That was awesome stuff. Mm. Yeah. So what was your favorite that right scene? there is is one of the primary reasons that I take Leah as seriously as I do, despite the fact that I think her character is a little unoriginal. She I still she still represents a real large tangible threat to our character in a way that no other villain has so far. Oh yeah, there is absolutely nothing original about having a you know, a 
hyper crafty female villain that doesn't yeah. make Leah any less compelling. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, my very favorite. And I promised I was going to uh, go over this earlier. The final few lines. I haven't, I haven't written oh, down Oh, that's here. right. So the vampires are out to get me and every other wizard on the block. The little wizardlings of the city, the have-nots of magic, are making it a point to not go outside after dark. I don't order pizza for delivery anymore. Not after the first guy almost got me with a bomb. The council is going to be furious at me, but what else is new? Susan doesn't call. Doesn't visit. But I got a card from her on my birthday, Halloween. She wrote only three words. I'll let you guess what three. That, I mean, that ending... And, and, and all the meaning it had with the context of Harry's struggles throughout the entire book to speak those three words, just mint, you know. And I, I had my complaints. I had a, Obviously, I had a lot of complaints about this book, especially for a series that I still claim to like. Um, but I, f- I feel like the stuff that I wanted to complain about was perhaps maybe a little more engaging for discussion, but the concept is still, is still brilliant. I, I just, that end, it, it was really weird. It was like watching an expert pilot you know practicing for an air show and thinking okay this guy's got talent why isn't he doing any more of the exciting things though and then you watch him land and you walk away like holy shit that was an amazing landing how did he manage to make the landing the most exciting part what (laughs) wow but it's just those those final lines were perfect i dare say perfect yeah it was really interesting how full moon had an excellent opening paragraph. The closing paragraph was pretty meh. Uh, I feel like both and then this book, the opening paragraph was eh. And the closing paragraph was very good. Was a mic drop. Yeah. Uh, like that was some good stuff. Like it, that would have meant more to me. Um, like that may have gotten into my favorite scenes had I cared more about Susan and Harry. <laughs> sure. But I can recognize the skill it takes to write that kind of ending. I mean, I've I've been on the record many times <laughs> uh, on on this show about how how much I love a powerful ending line, powerful ending mm-hmm. paragraph sequence, whatever. I mean, you, you, you go back to, to the Black Company, to the Wheel of Time. Uh, the, these are things that literally make me cry because it's just such beauty on the page. And obviously, I don't have the same emotional connection to the characters here. But for somebody who does have that emotional connection with Harry or, or Susan or both, these ending lines could totally have the same emotional impact that i get from reading yeah soldiers live and wonder why you know <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. yeah and and about let's just let's let's conclude here about the, the book overall the book well I, I have my my favorite scene oh my god i totally forgot about that for some reason i thought i was the last one yeah, yeah. go ahead go ahead well and i Oof. mentioned it earlier it was harry and michael entering the party oh yeah, that's right you had that's and right. And Michael being in the full Knight Templar getup, <laughs> which is its own insult to the vampires, and Harry in his full discount Halloween store Dracula getup, yeah, which is another kind of insult. And I liked how it it cut the tension 
it provided a, a layer of levity to the scene. It made us laugh, right? But then as it kept going on and you start realizing how um, it's not just for a laugh. It's like, yes, these characters, one of whom is being deliberately antagonistic and the other is being his typically straightforward, honest self, but also being antagonistic because what he is is an insult to the vampires. He's basically a walking cross, like yeah. a walking crucifix. And so while it adds that layer of levity, that that humor to the story, it also simultaneously builds the tension in the scene. And having that just... To, to use a Donaldson word, that frisson of okay. you know, the, this anticipation, the the buildup of energy where you're waiting for the spark to happen was made so much better by the inclusion of this joke. Where it's a joke for the character and it's a joke for the reader, but for the author, it's doing double duty. That's great writing right there. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So. So let's let's uh, wrap this up as you were saying. Yeah, I mean overall, I was a. This is still at the bottom of, my, of the three for me, just for me that I've read so far. I was a little put out by the fact that I thought it was going somewhere way spookier and way mm-hmm. more. Uh, I don't know. Uh, just way more terrifying. But having that mystery solved halfway through the book and then suddenly turning into a vampire politic thing, and I was just like, mm, oh, okay. Um, I also feel like we, I can still predict a lot of what's going to happen in the next book. Like, I can see, I can, I can, I feel like I have the formula now. Dresden, he's he's beating himself up. He's down on his luck. Enter stage, another mysterious and of course beautiful woman, which I think you you did confirm already. Is femme fatale type, of course. Um, Harry dismisses her concerns. I'm assuming, um, but ultimately ends up feeling guilty. Maybe feeling responsible for protecting her. Throw an assassination attempt into there. Maybe Harry's got to jump into danger. Gets injured. Retreats to lick his wounds and and brainstorm perhaps with Bob. Uh, tries to save the day again. Maybe gets his ass wor- whooped even more. You know, maybe now he's really tired or really really injured. Um, righteous return gets thrown around for for good measure. Yada yada. Vampire court. Bianca's a bitch. Or maybe it's the godmother. Bianca's dead. Bianca's dead. Yeah. They somehow... killed Bianca. The ghosts killed Bianca at the end of this book. Oh my god, that's right. They had like there was like this this fall right into the. Yeah. That's yeah. right. I totally forgot about that. Okay, so that'll be their godmother then. Um, vague references to his past. Harry pulls some magic out of his ass that we didn't even know was possible until that <laughs> moment. A uh, little more injury, a little more blood, because Harry's got to get beat the f- up, and then he saves the day. You know, I just this formula is starting to assert itself for me. So uh, I will just raise my drink and say onwards to the next book, where I'm hoping I'm going to be. Probably going to be totally incorrect, and I'm going to have to sheepishly return next week with an apology to Jim Butcher or to our listeners for talking out of my ass right now, like a total, <laughs> total self-absorbed dickhead. I really hope I'm being a dickhead here. I don't yeah, want I'm, to be I'm right about curious that. To see. I'm curious to see, because I haven't read uh, all of the next book yet. I've only yeah, read a little bit of really the beginning. So. I don't want to be right about that. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm ready to go into the final draft. What about you? Any um, closing thoughts? Uh, yeah, a couple of closing thoughts. Uh Unlike Rob, this is my favorite so far. 
it narrowly edges out Stormfront. I think they're approximately um, approximately equal, and then Full Moon was my least favorite. But I have much higher hopes going forward than it seems Rob does. Uh, I, just, I mm. Uh, and and I have a feeling, um, just because of what this book signals narratively, that Rob, you're going to end up liking the way the series goes because it's going to turn yeah. into something more of the like serialized, the the yeah the kind of Brandon Sanderson epic fantasy you like. That would be awesome. The David Farland, Robert Jackson, I've, Bennett. I've had know, a like, lot of fun reading these books. I, I don't want to on them too much yeah like if you were to ask me to rate this book a 3.5 out of 5 it was still worth my time definitely worth my time and i can see yeah, why i think i would like it more. i would give this about a 3.5 as yeah. well you wouldn't guess uh, maybe it with a 375 no um, bitching in this episode but i'm yeah. just a very gr- curmudgeonly person i guess i promise i had a lot of fun reading this book and uh, the dresden files i'm still going to be recommending probably going to be the top of my list of recommendations for people like in my immediate circle who i'm just going to be Trying to push books on, you know. Nice, nice. So, so. Uh, final draft, I'll do yeah. one beer, because I've been sure. drinking two beers tonight. I'll do one beer first, and it's the beer I'm currently drinking. Uh, the one that I said was just delicious when I tried yeah. it. Yeah, uh, So this is an Imperial Chocolate Oatmeal Stout, brewed oh. with toasted coconut and natural flavorings. I have no idea what other natural flavorings there are in there. Uh, but you like them. It doesn't doesn't say anything more on the label about that. Uh, but it is from Angry Chair Brewing Company. <laughs> Angry Chair. It is. <laughs> I like that. Uh, yeah, so Angry Chair is awesome. That's uh, what I'm saying. Florida brewery, Tampa yeah. Bay, Florida. Um, I think I've brought a couple of their beers on before. Um, but not many because... These guys are tough to get your hands on. Uh, they they're one of the most sought after breweries in the U.S., especially their stouts, um, their pastry stouts. They're famous for um, some of the most ridiculously delicious beers I've ever had. This sounds amazing. I'm not gonna lie. Like, yeah, uh, I mean this thing. This thing is like coconut s'mores. Like I swear wow, it is. Uh, it is like coconut. marshmallow coconut chocolate. Just. Mm. Yikes. Delicious. And it does not have an ABV list. I still can't believe that, that they get away with that there in the United States. Yeah. Not having an ABV on there. That's amazing. Dude. Yeah. Um, but yeah, super delicious. And it is called Ghost Light. <laughs> okay. Nice. Yeah. I like that. I also especially really like the, the name of the brewery, Angry Chair. I feel like I'm going to be making... Yeah jokes whenever i come on in a future you know episode about a book that I, i'm gonna bitch mm. about <laughs> like rob's sitting in the angry chair again today yeah. yeah the when when we next get to hang out i'll have an angry chair barrel aged pastry stuff nice to try, good so. good yeah. okay so what have you been drinking i have just been drinking my third coffee of the day which is not very um wise as it is now 11 47 p.m on august 17th 2021 as a point of fact, but it was a bit smaller. Um, it's just a, a standard Keurig. I think the brand is Timothy, but we have this excellent, excellent French vanilla flavored cream in the fridge that I have been drinking a truly unwise amount of. 
and you can't go wrong with a coffee. And I did drink a beer at the beginning of this episode. I'm back oh. to drinking just a little bit at a time, but it's not. It's nothing special. It's it's just what we had on hand. Yeah, this yeah. is a little, I'm almost ashamed to admit it. This is a Labatt Maximum Ice, seven point one percent beer. But <laughs> so I, mean, I, I just I just want to put this out. You're you're back to drinking a little bit. A little bit, what, yeah. If I get what, like what, a special occasion, six I would. Six months. Uh, no, I don't think so. I stopped in March. March third. Five months. I think it was five and a half. Months. Has it really been? It's August. Well, it's not like I also shouldn't say I don't want to give the impression I just started again today. It's it's been a few weeks now. I've been drinking a here oh, okay. and there, but it's still very rare. Like I probably won't have another beer for the next one. Okay. I almost yeah. didn't even talk about this one, but it's just it's a standard kind of garbage. No, that, that's awesome though. Like beer. That's that, you know, I, just the idea of going four plus months without drinking. Oh yeah, is, that went wild. That's, and I will say that'd be I, tough for me at this point. I tried to do the same with weed, with marijuana, since I have been far more dependent on that since I was probably 20, 21 years old. I managed to go, I think, like twelve days without smoking anything of the sort. Uh, but it just it wasn't it wasn't ruining my life in the same way that alcohol was up until I decided to quit. And so with with, with weed again, I've been hitting I've been puffing here on the on the vape a little bit but again it's you know it's it's not something that i'm really serious but like i was with alcohol i went i went months with uh, without alcohol and i feel like yeah now i'm back to drinking just a little bit on a special occasion when we have uh, a particular guest coming up who we haven't announced yet i will probably have a beer on that uh, episode yes as well. uh, yeah yeah um, <laughs> what about yeah. your second beer my friend what have you been sipping on uh so this is a double ipa from Anchorage Brewing Company. Anchorage again. Old standby. Nice. Uh, okay. Really good. Uh, man. Uh, I usually think of Anchorage first for their barley wines because they make like the best barley wines in the world or barrel-aged barley wines at least. Um, just outrageously good stuff. Uh, but the more I try their IPAs, the more impressed I am. This is... I mean, super bright mango. Um, Fits the IPA. Oh, wait, no, mango, you said. Yeah, maybe, maybe like, maybe a little nectarine. Uh, there's no oh, fruit God. in it. This is just all coming from the, the hop varieties yeah, 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 they yeah, use yeah. in it. Like, uh, Sweet. And I looked at the can, they do not list the, the hops, uh, but I would guess, like, probably mosaic. Uh, Wonder if they would list natural flavorings. Yeah, I, I'd have to I'd have to do some research. I feel pretty confident there's mosaic hops in this. There's probably a couple other variants in there, but it is real nice. It's eight point four percent and perfect for this episode. It's called Revenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like uh, Kravos would have something to say about that. I, I almost I and keep Bianca. Almost saying- Kratos, yeah, and Bianca. Well, Bianca doesn't have the this, the grounds for it though. Bianca's just a, a just, don't even get me started on. Bianca. That was the whole driving force of the book was her getting revenge on Harry. Yeah, but her for, her reasoning like, doesn't doesn't jive with me. She still instigates everything. It doesn't like. Sure. Yeah. 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 But, but you're right. As as that definitely that is her, the theme of the book. Yeah. Oh my god. Definitely the theme of the book. Oh yeah. 
Cannot argue that. Cannot argue that. So, I uh, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. It's been a longer episode than I expected it to be. Uh, yeah, nearly an hour 45-ish. I'm pretty sure we beat the last two by like half an hour, probably. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, this has been episode 131 of the yep. Inking Out Loud podcast. Next up, we are going to be covering... Book four of the Dresden Files, Summer Night. Uh, definitely check that out. And if you want to get early access to it, as always, you can check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud to support the show there. I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. I like the book, I promise. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye, everybody.